0: Morning everyone, I'm Ben, uh, I'm a member of the church here at Ebby. um If you're lucky, in this recording you might be able to hear my classically trained singer neighbour doing some classically trained singing through the wall behind me, so that'll be fun. Um, we're carrying on our series this morning uh, in the Biblical Book of Hebrews, chapter 11, um, and we've been thinking about uh, topics of faith, and this morning we're looking specifically at the idea of faith and doubt. Um, and I've found it quite sort of pleasing putting this talk together, Um, for a few reasons. Um, One, because I think that what we're looking at this morning um, and and the the outlook in Hebrews 11 generally um, helps put a stop to a potentially toxic misconception about faith. And it offers or even urges a richer vision about faith in its place. So that's always nice. Um, But also because uh, it's got everybody's favourite thing in it. Um, A bit of a nudge, nudge, wink, wink, biblical joke. Everyone can enjoy one of those. Uh, And I think those things together combine to give us a reminder of something that we can pretty much always benefit from. Um, So let's unpack those a little bit. Um, We'll start by reading uh, the verses we're looking at this morning, which is Hebrews 11 starting at verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Um, So this is looking back to the story uh, in the very early chapters of Genesis of Abraham and Sarah, um, Genesis 12 to 22, maybe a bit further if you want to read it for yourself. Um, And and the bit that the writer of Hebrews is drawing out here is this, this piece about the promise of descendants, the promise of children to Abraham. So a really quick sort of rundown of that bit of the story is that God promises Abraham descendants, um, but Sarah, his wife, is unable to have children. But even in spite of that, God says that Sarah will have a son. And in her old age, and Abraham's old age as well, Sarah miraculously gives birth to Isaac. And then here they are in Hebrews 11, much, much later in the Bible, and being praised um, in this chapter for their faith. Um, now I so said the first thing that I found pleasing about thinking about this was the way that it puts a stop to a potentially toxic misconception of faith. Uh, so let's start with that. What do I mean by that exactly And how does this story about uh, Abraham and Sarah and the birth of Isaac uh, w- what does it do? What, what's this toxic idea of faith that it sort of undercuts? Um, and I think To see how you you get to that, um, you need to ask this question about why is Sarah in this list? So the whole of Hebrews 11 is a list full of people who are being praised for their faith. Why is Sarah showing up in this list? And what is the faith that is being commended in these few short verses? Uh, When the writer of Hebrews um, is praising Sarah and Abraham for their faith, what is that faith that they're getting praised for? And I think when we start to look at that question, um, and in fact just from reading Hebrews 11 in general, I think... Uh, you can quite quickly start to get a picture of uh, what faith is not and what faith does not mean and how it doesn't work. Um, and I just want to spend a bit of time on this because I think it's quite a common uh, misconception about faith and I think it's a potentially dangerous one. So I think it's really helpful that Hebrews 11 helps um, pull the rug out from underneath it. And so one of the things I think faith is not, and that Hebrews 11 is not talking about, is this idea of some sort of spiritual points for prizes, Um, almost a sort of like carnival or funfair um, arcade ticket system approach to faith. Um, I think often when we think about faith, it can be tempting uh, to think that faith is all about how certain you can be of something how hard you can believe how sure how confident how without any shadow of a doubt you can you can be certain and adamant about something how hard can you believe how much certainty can you have almost like one of those sort of tests of strengths at the fair how much faith have you got how hard can you believe and that if you have loads of that really strong certain unwavering belief it stores up some sort of points for you it's like a credit system it's like those tickets that come out of machines at at cheap arcades. uh, And and by having more definite, certain, unshaken, uh, doubt-free certainty, uh, you store up some faith points, you build up your bank of, uh, of the amount of faith that you have. And then later on, that means that you can sort of trade in those faith points to get rewards, to get things that you want. That if you just have enough in the thing that you want then surely it will come to happen if you're just certain enough that the universe will provide you with this thing. This is like power of positive thinking stuff, if you just believe hard enough surely it will come to pass. And so it's about how much and how certain we can be, we store up this bank of faith points because later we want to trade those in uh, in exchange for things that we would like to have. And it's definitely tempting to see that in this little story of Abraham and Sarah like we talked about. the sort of to insert in in the middle there in between um, Sarah's unable to have children God says she'll have a son. It's tempting to read in that the the thing that Hebrews must be praising them for is that after God says Sarah will have a son, she is completely instantly certain that this will happen. She has zero doubt, she's completely convinced, her smashing of the faith hammer rings the bell, it's off the charts, she's so sure, as soon as God says it, no doubt, complete faith. And then, in old age, she miraculously gives birth to Isaac, and then she gets praised in Hebrews 11 for her faith. Surely, uh, that's what it means, that she's given this incredible promise and she just completely believes it, absolute certainty, no doubt, brilliant faith, well done, Sarah, and you get the prize that you want of a child. Except that... (laughs) Uh, If you go and look at the story, Sarah doesn't do that. And so it can't be that sister, it can't be that model, because that's not at all the way that Sarah behaves. That's not at all a kind of faith that she shows. So if you look in Genesis 16, um, Sarah says, you see that the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So not only does she not instantly uh, go along with this promise that she and Abraham are going to have descendants, she actively blames God for stopping her from being able to have children. And she tells him to go into my slave girl. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And so she makes her own plan, her own plan that involves somebody else, uh, that that involves her imposing um, cruelly on on her slave girl, Hagar. Um, She makes her own plan uh, to find a workaround for this thing that she's sure is not going to happen. So she absolutely doesn't demonstrate faith and certainty in this idea there. She starts making her own alternative arrangements to try and find a different way uh, to get to this outcome. Um, Or in Genesis 18, um, Abraham and Sarah, when they're they're older, um, they're visited in their tent by three strangers uh, and they tell this kind of wild story to Abraham. One of the strangers said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? And so when these these strangers, they're visited um, by people bringing this promise from God um, and Sarah hears it, she overhears it, she hears it direct from these messengers. Uh, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. In our normal model of complete certainty is what gets you the reward that you want. What Sarah should do at this point is go, of course, the, these people have spoken and so it will be. Uh, this is the promise and that's what's going to happen. And I'm 100% sure. And I have zero doubt about that. But that's not at all what she does. She laughs at the idea. She thinks it's ridiculous. She thinks it's impossible and outlandish. And actually, just after this in Genesis 18, um, God even sort of has words about, you laughed, you laughed when you heard my promise. And then she's afraid and says, I I didn't laugh. But she did. She doubted. She She thought it was completely impossible that this would happen. So it's clearly not this idea that the amount of certainty that we have uh, gets turned into a reward later on, It's clearly not the case that the reason Sarah is in this list in Hebrews 11 and the faith that she's being praised for is how sure she is the very second that she hears the word and there's no question or doubt in her mind. That's clearly not what's going on. And so that can't be the model of faith that Hebrews 11 is talking about, faith. What, what does it say instead? So one of the other things I said that was great about this is it, it gives us a, a richer um, vision of what, what faith is uh, instead of that misconception And I think the idea that Hebrews 11 puts forward and the way that it talks about faith um, is as faith as a place, a place that you can live, a place that you can walk around, a location that you can make your home. Um, And I think if you look through Hebrews 11 and 12, um, and all the the different um, instances that are given, they're all going to be covered, I think, in the series that we're doing. Uh, It kind of uses this language and this idea of faith as a, as a location, as a map almost. And it's about location, not about certainty. It's about where your faith is, not how much of it there is. Um, yeah, it talks, about, it talks about faith in terms of place, uh, not volume, of where, not of how much.
1: Um, and
0: so I think it starts Hebrews 11, the very first verse of Hebrews 11 gives a sort of definition of faith faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And I think we often, when we read that, we instinctively sort of zero in on on these words here. These are the ones that jump out to us and and sound big, faces confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It's all about how sure can we be, how definite. But actually, I think uh, the writer of Hebrews, it's the other part of the sentence that they're trying to emphasise. And these are the bits that should stand out and be the, the big words to us Uh, our faith is confidence in. in. What is the confidence in? Where is it placed? Faith is confidence in what we hope for, the coming kingdom of God that we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see, the coming kingdom of God that we don't see with our eyes, um, but that we believe is on its way. Uh, And so throughout Hebrews 11, it it talks about faith as um, this way of living in this unseen and hard-to-imagine reality that changes your actions now, Um, almost like having a different map overlaid on the world. So as you walk around in the world that you can see and taste and touch, actually your eyes are on a different kingdom. Uh, So in verse 7, we get Noah, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. Um, And so the idea there is that, that Noah can see this world that is coming where everything is underwater. And so he starts acting now in preparation for that world that is not yet seen. And he builds an ark in preparation for a world that will be underwater, even though everyone who's just looking around at what they can see in front of their face has no reason to think that that's something that might happen. But Noah is on a different map to them and his eyes are on a different kingdom. And he's not just looking at uh, the, the things that he can see immediately in front of him. Somehow he is able to perceive Um, this coming world, and to start living in preparation for it now. Um, Or in verses 24 to 26, we get Moses, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. So again, you get the idea of Moses is somehow seeing a different world than the world that is right in front of him. He's born into the royal household. He could have all the um, wealth and status and privilege that, and power that that gives him, um, but he chooses not to walk in those paths because somehow he's seeing a different kingdom. He's seeing another kingdom that Pharaoh is not in charge of, uh, where there are bigger rewards and treasures, things of more value than power and status and privilege. And so it talks about what he can see. He was looking ahead to a different reward. He saw a king who was invisible, didn't just see Pharaoh, he saw another king, another lord. And so he behaved differently now, and he turned down the thing that looked obvious in the here and now, because he had his eyes on a different kingdom. Or verse 29, um, this one's really like geographical, if we're talking about faith as a place, by faith the people pass through the Red Sea as on dry land. And so whilst it would look on the map of the world like, yep, there's just a massive expanse of water right there, um, somehow the eyes of faith can see that it is not um, an impassable uh, piece of terrain, but they can see the kingdom of God where actually it is a a path to freedom from slavery. And so they're able to pass through the Red Sea as on dry land. It's, It's almost like there are these two worlds on top of each other, one in which this is an impassable body of water, and one in which actually this is a road out of slavery and into freedom. And they've got their eyes on that other map. They're looking at this different kingdom, and so they just walk through the water because they see it as the the path to freedom that it is. Um, So maybe you find it helpful to literally visualize it like that, to think about um, the different paths and roads of the kingdom of God overlaid and intertwined with the world that we can see and taste and touch. Um, so here's a here's a map of some of the actual roads and paths of Hawfield and Filton. Um, maybe it's helpful to, to think about this idea that alongside that and kind of overlaid on it, there are these other paths and roads of the Kingdom of God um, that would mean that we navigate the places that we're in uh, maybe a bit differently. And so sure, maybe if somebody says, where is the church building? You could say, well, it's just along Filton Avenue and on the left. Um, But maybe if we have our eyes on the paths of the kingdom of God, we could see that church is happening in all kinds of places, Uh, and maybe the way that we navigate our area and other people who we meet would be a bit different. Um, Or maybe it's helpful to visualise it this way, so okay, here we are, we're down in town, we're in the middle of Bristol. Um, Again, this is what we see when we look with our physical eyes, Um, what does this look like if we've got our eyes on that parallel, overlaid kingdom of God. I mean, it might be that we find that actually there's very little in this scene that will be permanent or lasting or that matters in the kingdom of God. And so whilst it's big and it's bright and it's loud and it's in our face right here and now, it might be that actually very little of that has uh, the same sort of status in the kingdom of God. But it might be that there's just this person right here, might be the one thing that does last. Maybe a person that you didn't even notice uh, when you were just seeing what was in front of your face. I know that often I've gone down into town and it's easy to notice that actually there are a lot of people who you're not noticing, who are going overlooked. And it might be that the people that you don't even notice or struggle to see uh, in the world in front of your face, it might be that they are the bits that are really permanent and lasting and significant in the kingdom of God. I don't know, the point is to just try and look to try and see uh, past what is in front of our eyes and see with our eyes on the kingdom of God. Um, And it's not like this is some completely um, other physical space. It's not like this is out on a different planet. The point is that the kingdom of God comes and it happens in the world. The earth and heaven are brought together. And so we can start looking at the world around us and start asking, what does it look like for the kingdom of God to come more in this world here and now? So for example, Will there be statues in the kingdom of God? Will we be erecting monuments to powerful men uh, so that show off and, and boast of their glory? Is that a thing that's gonna happen in the kingdom of God? Or is the kingdom of God gonna be a place where those things don't really happen and don't exist? I don't know, there's a question to ask. <laughs> um, but the point is, if we feel like we've got a sense of what the kingdom of God is gonna be like, then we can start working towards that reality more Here and now we can start looking for things to be more in line with the kingdom of God. That If we can perceive it, we can start looking to build it more and more here and now. Um, And just one last example that's kind of on my heart where we see this difference between the idea of uh, faith as certainty that gets us what we want versus faith as having our eyes on a different kingdom. Um, I feel really conscious about what is the place of faith in the pandemic that we're currently suffering. And I think it's sometimes tempting to feel like, yeah, faith means believing, having real certainty. Uh, What we really want to see is for this to go away and for things to be back to normal. I don't want to have to wear a mask. I don't want to have to socially distance. I want normal life back. Surely, if I just believe hard enough, if I just have enough certainty, if I just wish it hard enough, it will come into being. Um, But as I say, I think that is to misunderstand how faith works. And actually, the Hebrews 11 outlook on faith, I think we should be asking... Uh, how can we see the kingdom of God in the world as we find it? And so we are, we're in a pandemic. That is the reality that we're finding. And the question should be, as always, where are the paths of the kingdom of God in the middle of this? What does it look like to walk around the streets and the roads of the kingdom of God in the middle of this situation? Not just to wish it away, not just to um, be sure that it's going to be over, but to to try and see with the eyes of the kingdom, um, and, and to ask ourselves, what does it mean uh, to walk on the paths of the kingdom of God in the middle of this situation? Now, here we come back to the story of Sarah and her faith. Um, so I'm saying that um, she doesn't uh, demonstrate this idea of faith as complete certainty. She's quite doubtful uh, and sort of laughs at the, uh, the promise that God puts to her. Um, So how does she do on this this different idea of faith? Faith being a place that you can walk around in. Faith being walking to a different map, having your eyes on the kingdom of God, not the kingdom you can see in front of you. Um, Unfortunately, Sarah is not always great at doing that one either. Uh, And there's quite a few times in the story um, where we see that uh, she is way off the map of the kingdom of God. Um, kingdom of God, the two main things you need to know about it, love the Lord your God with everything you've got, love your neighbour as yourself. Um, and there are lots of actions that are way off that map in Sarah's life. And there's a a couple of really, um, particular times where there seems to be a real self-centeredness rather than God and other centeredness that results in cruelty and cruelty has no place in the kingdom of God. Um, so we read these bits earlier. Uh, near the start of the story, she talks about, I will obtain children. Um, there's a sense of her wanting to get something for herself. Uh, that should always be an indicator that maybe we're not walking around on the map of the kingdom of God, we're walking around on the map that suits us, uh, if it's something that serves our self-interest. So I will obtain, how am I going to get the children that I want? And I don't think it's a coincidence that it's not long after that, that she really ill treats Hagar, her slave, um, and that wording really undersells it. Um, that the Hebrew, I, I think, is, is a really strong word. There, it's, it's a, a, a severe cruelty, uh, and, and she is she she mistreats Hagar horribly. Um, and I, I don't think it's a coincidence that that follows from that self centered outlook. And you see the same thing um, towards the end of the story. Um, After Isaac is born, she says, I have borne this child. There's a sense of self-congratulation. And again, I don't think it's a massive coincidence that not long after that, um, she banishes Hagar and Ishmael and sends them uh, off into the wilderness. Again, very cruel and way off the map of the kingdom of God. So that pushes us back to that question we started with, of what is the faith that is being commended here? Why is Sarah in this list? Uh, what is the faith that the writer of Hebrews is saying uh, that Abraham and Sarah have shown? Um, if it's not about having loads of certainty, and if she doesn't do a great job of walking around on the paths of the kingdom of God, what is the faith that is being commended? Um, so this is where I think we get to the biblical nudge, nudge, wink, wink moment, um, because so Hebrews 11 is not a list of people who never put a foot wrong. It's not a rundown of people who live their entire lives in flawless faith, who do nothing but walk around on the paths of the kingdom of God, who only see that and never look at the world around them. It's not a list of people who never get it wrong. Uh, it's a list of, of individual moments. So um, Noah, Noah gets plenty wrong in his life. Uh, Moses. Moses is full of doubt. Uh, The Israelites, the ones who are praised for walking through the Red Sea as if it was dry land and taking that path to freedom, as soon as they get to the other side, uh, they they forget and they spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness and longing to go back to slavery in Egypt. So these are by no means uh, stories of people who spend their entire life walking around on the paths of the kingdom of God. but the, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews has picked them out because these are moments in those stories. They're moments where you can really see um, that faith being demonstrated as uh, walking around on a different map, of having your eyes on a different kingdom, of behaving now in a way that is shaped by the unseen coming kingdom of God rather than just the world in front of you that you can see and taste and touch. Um, and so in the example of Abraham and Sarah, I think the moment that the writer of Hebrews 11 is pointing to uh, is is this line that that Sarah alludes to. So God promises descendants. We know Sarah is unable to have children. God says that Sarah will have a son. But even though she's infertile, even though she's 90 years old, Sarah again has pleasure. And in her old age, she miraculously gives birth to Isaac and is praised in Hebrews 11 for faith. I think the thing that the writer of Hebrews is pointing to and saying, this is the moment where Abraham and Sarah really had their eyes on a different map, uh, is the moment that when they're 90 and 100 and they've never been able to have children together, they still sleep together. They still try to get pregnant. I mean, it's a ridiculous notion, right? 90 and 100 years old. The, The writer of Hebrews even says it in a slightly comical way. He, as good as dead, um, what a wild idea. What, they, clearly they are not just looking uh, to the world as they know and understand it, because in that world this is an impossibility. But in that moment uh, they have got their eyes on a different kingdom and they can see uh, the possibilities that only God can accomplish. And so in that moment, as the writer of Hebrews wants to draw our attention to, they walked, or maybe more accurately, they lay down in the paths of the kingdom of God. They had their eyes on a different kingdom where impossible things are possible. And as I said, I think all of that adds up to just a quite straightforward reminder that is always uh, useful to us, that we can always benefit from. I think the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us something quite Um, plain, in a way, through this story, through all the examples he gives, trying to get across this idea that faith is a place. It's not about how much certainty you can have. It's not about eradicating doubt. It's about which kingdom are your eyes on? Which paths are you walking around in? And so we need to look out for, we need to seek, as Jesus puts it, seek first the kingdom of God. We need to be trying to see where is the kingdom of God coming? We need to be trying to perceive those paths of the kingdom in the world around us. And when we do see it, when we, think, when we think we've got a glimpse of it, we need to have the courage to walk around in it, even though it might look ridiculous in the world that we can see in front of us. It might have looked ridiculous to try and cross the Red Sea. It definitely looked ridiculous to try and have a baby at 90 and 100 years old. But when you see the paths of the kingdom of God, you've got to have the courage to walk in them. And as I think Hebrews is continually trying to stress to the, its, its readers, you've got to let the unseen coming kingdom, the thing that we hope for. Uh, change our actions now we need to be shaped in the way that we're living our lives now by the hope that we've got in a kingdom that isn't completely here yet that isn't easy to see that isn't in front of our faces in the same way as the world that we can touch is. but we're we're confident that it will arrive and so we need to start walking around in it now um, yeah abraham is praised in verse 10 for looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. We need to find those moments where we can see the paths of the kingdom of God, to look forward to that city and to start getting ready to live in it now. Let's pray.